welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I'm Connie, along with dancing queen Meg, and she is going to tell us about Sheila Labar. But first, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I would like to start my own podcast, stay tuned because in a little bit, we're going to tell you exactly how you can. And you can. We believe in you. If we can Um, do it, you can do it. (laughs) If we can do it, anyone can do it. (laughs) Look, I was locked out. I got a new phone and I was locked out of my social media apps, like actually all of my apps for like three days because I didn't know how to work. I didn't know any of my passwords or anything like that to log in. Because they were all saved in your old phone. Uh Uh-huh. And I'd had that same phone for like four years. So nothing had changed. You know, they're like, change your passwords regularly. I was why would I do that? No, then <laughs> I'll forget. How am I going to get into my stuff? <laughs> I, if my husband heard me say this, he would kill me. I have a notes app on my phone that has all of oh, my. All your passwords? All my passwords, my bank account, routing number, everything. If you, <laughs> I have All you got to do is steal Connie's phone. <laughs> I have two credit card, uh, full information on there so if i'm shopping i can just copy and paste like if i ever get robbed i am f-u-c-k-e-d man that would mess me up saving all my stuff right there because that is like 87 percent of the time i choose to not buy something because i don't want to get up and get my wallet like <laughs> you just save your pass or you save your credit card one of my like my debit card I know but it always asks for the security code and I can never remember it because I have like oh. a couple different ones my actual like my debit card debit card I have the card number memorized <sighs> I used like, to but like long ago when I only had one card but no I know no my credit memorized. cards are like if I'm like trying to earn points or whatever just trying to be sneaky about what I'm buying those are the ones that are saved under my phone <laughs> Okay, we'll get into it. Um, I feel like every week I've been saying, like, this is a doozy, but baby, this is a doozy. (laughs) Um, Murder, abuse, domestic violence, incest, pedophilia. Uh, That's enough. Yeah, that's that's enough. enough. It's a lot, just so you know. (laughs) And with that, on Saturday, March 11th, 2006, Sheila Labar approached the Walmart customer service desk in the Epping, New Hampshire store. And she was prepared to go to war with the employees behind the counter. She was livid. That's how I feel every time I go to Walmart. (laughs) Honestly, same. But the woman behind the desk, she was friendly. How, How can I help you? And she snapped back and told her that a woman had just grabbed her husband and pushed him out of the way. A woman had just assaulted her husband in the Walmart store. The man standing next to her was visibly younger, and his face was covered in cuts and scratches. He was just looking down. He refused to make any eye contact with the Walmart employee. But the employee asked if the person who had pushed him out of the way was responsible for all of those cuts and stuff on his face. Sheila answered for him. She said that her husband had been in a car accident. He was all cut up and he also had large burns on his body. So she just turned him around and like lifted up his sweater to show his back, like exposed his back to the worker and just continued to escalate this situation. She demanded that the woman responsible 
for this abuse, be thrown out of the store. She said that she had friends and family high up in the Walmart corporate chain in Bentonville, Arkansas. Like she was from the South. So she had a bit of a Southern accent. She was like, I have friends. You can tell by my Southern accent. Um, which I thought was ridiculous, but this friends too. And you can tell them by (laughs) my Southern accent. (laughs) I do Um, love a good Southern accent. They asked her if she wanted to call police. Like, we can call the police. Let us do that. And she said that she was a lawyer. She didn't need police. Um, But the store didn't have security. There wasn't anything that Walmart employees can do. Like, they're very limited in their abilities. Sis, are you trying to get us to go fight this girl? Because. Yeah, that's exactly what they wanted. They wanted to. She wanted them to drag this person out. She was pissed. Uh, She dragged the man that was with her through the store, screaming that her husband had been assaulted. A customer who had actually seen this interaction that Sheila was so mad about. She pulled the manager aside and was like, hey, I saw that accident. And that woman barely grazed him. She just like passed by him in an aisle. And it was actually Sheila who had started screaming and attacking this other woman. Was not the other way around. Mm, that's sus. Mm, very sus. This woman is a sus human being. She left after the Walmart re- after the Walmart managers refused to entertain her any longer. But the co-manager took a call from her not even an hour later. Sheila again told him that her husband had been assaulted and he was crying because he was in so much pain. And then she asked about the store's security cameras. The call ended. But Walmart had not heard the last of Sheila Labar. Three nights later, she was back. She was cussing up a storm because the door greeter, she said the door greeter had told her to put some clothes on. And she went into this swear word laden rant about how she hated this effing store and how she was a multimillionaire and she was going to sue and get everyone fired. She called the employees rude. She became irate when the cashier checked the woman's money with like the counterfeit pin. She was like, I'm a multimillionaire. You don't have to check my money. Um, (laughs) And she left again. And the cashier who had done that and like dealt with her went and talked to the door greeter and the door greeter had only said that it was chilly out that night. That was what she had said to her. So you're like, whoa. She leaves again and she comes back on March 17th. This time she was pushing her quote unquote husband in a wheelchair. Sheila managed to find a co-manager and corner her. She told the woman that she was an attorney. She could assign her, she could sign her own arrest warrant for the woman who had assaulted her husband. And the manager said that works. Yeah, exactly, right? (laughs) Like (laughs) in what world? Um, in Sheila's world. Absolutely. And the manager was like, look, if you have a problem, like we need to call the police and we're happy to do that for you. The manager looked at the man in the wheelchair and also noticed that he was still covered in bruises and cuts. And when Sheila realized that the manager was looking at him, she told him that her late husband was a doctor and she was capable of treating his wounds, essentially. Why do I get the feeling that Sheila's not the victim here? Sheila's not the victim here. 
If I okay. was the manager at the store, I would have called police just to get rid of this lady. Like the oh, first for time. Sure. Yeah. There would have been no, like, would you like us to call the police? We would have been like, I'm going to call the police for me. Um, and also but, a welfare check for your husband. Yeah, for real. Uh, but they entertained her to the best of their ability. They let her recreate the scene of the attack. And the manager was just like, you know what? I'm good. I don't have anything left to say to you. And Sheila grabbed like disposable cameras and two yellow diesel gas containers, which she had come in to buy. But she took the camera and went around the store taking pictures of all the security cameras. And the manager called the police when she saw that she was doing that because it was suspicious. Like, it's why very are you suspicious. Doing yeah. Um, and they knew exactly who Sheila Labar was because she was a problem citizen. She terrorized everyone like this. And the police had a rule like set in place just for Sheila that no officer was allowed to approach her without backup, mainly because she had attempted to seduce an officer at one point. But even without that, she was a handful because she constantly threw out this litigation terminology and just like, I'm a lawyer. I'm a justice of the peace. I'm a notary. I'm this. I can do this, even though some of that is true and most of it isn't. Um, when police got to the Walmart, they saw her husband, who wasn't really her husband. His name was Kenneth County. He was a 24-year-old man. Police had gotten a phone call about Kenneth only a few weeks before and performed a welfare check on him at Sheila's home. So he had actually had a welfare check called on him. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And then the Kenneth that sat in front of them in this wheelchair did not look like the same person that they had tracked down and done the welfare check for. Uh, it was, they had done it on February 24th and they asked, they tried to talk to him. They were like, Hey, are you Okay. But Sheila would not let him speak. She yelled at him that he didn't have to fucking talk to them. So he didn't. And Kenny County was a good kid, but he did have a developmental disability that gave him a significantly lower mental capacity than what his true age was. His mother described him as not being very affectionate. He had trouble reading social cues, um, but he worked hard and he was kind. Oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> still at 18 kenny joined the army but unfortunately was unable to make it out of basic training so he went home he got a job at the local car wash and to his co-workers kenny was great he spoke with his family often every single day even though he had recently moved out to live with a roommate um inside though kenny was struggling in February of 2006, he attempted suicide, but he did survive. Shortly after, he decided he wanted to meet someone to share his life with, so he set up a phone dating service profile. Are you like, you like, push a button to indicate what your personality is like? Like Tinder. Five, if you're shy, boop, because it was not an app. This was like 2006. Oh. It was like a old oh, okay. school phone dating app, pre Tinder, um, like a call girl dating app, but like for like real people. Yeah, exactly. And like you would leave a like a voicemail of your profile that like tells tell someone about yourself, and then people could listen to the voicemails and leave their own. 
in response. That sounds like a lot of work. It seems so weird now because it's so easy. Uh, but at the time, like, that's what you did. Uh, a woman had left him voicemails about herself after listening to his profile. And after a couple of back and forth voicemails, they decided to have dinner on Valentine's. Uh, Tuesday, Feb- February 14th, he went to dinner. And afterward, he and Sheila, because this is who he went to dinner with, went to his apartment where he told his roommate, Eric, that he was leaving with Sheila. And his roommate was confused. He's, he just went on this one date. Um, he's like, where are you going? What are you talking about? And County told him that he was going to help Sheila on her farm. He would be back on Sunday. He said that they were going to be so happy together. And then Kenny left and he didn't take anything with him. He took nothing. That Monday, the 20th, Kenny's mom, Carolyn, received a phone call from him and he was crying. He told his mom that Eric's friend had called Sheila a mean name. Kenneth hadn't returned home on Sunday. And on Monday, his roommate had actually been really worried about him. And he had called him and said, hey, man, are you okay? When are you going to be home? But Sheila took the phone and started arguing with his friends. So they called her the big C, which upset Kenny and prompted him to call his mom. But Sheila took the phone from him while he was talking to his mom as well and told her to leave him the fuck alone because he was 24 years old and that he was happy. And she hung up on his mom. He's been with this woman for a couple of days. Like five seconds. Yes. <laughs> like, And this is what she's doing. Um, but Kenneth had people who cared about him. And his mom called the police after he didn't show up to work the next day. It was very unlike him. They knew that he was on a farm in Epping, New Hampshire with a woman named Sheila. So when they called Epping, New Hampshire and the police department, they knew exactly who she was talking about. And she explained, like, my son has a mental disability. He recently attempted suicide. Um, we really need someone to perform a welfare check on him. And she, Sheila had filed reports on dozens of citizens, on police officers, she had written pages and pages and pages of information. She'd been pulled over for speeding and charged with marijuana possession. There was one incident where she was so sexually forthcoming to an officer um, that the chief of police was like, no one approach her alone again. And that's where that came from. So two officers got to her farmhouse to perform a welfare check and Sheila reluctantly let them talk to him. They were like, hey, man, you got to call your mom. And then Sheila was like, get the fuck off of my property. There's a lot of F-bombs in this episode because she's nuts. <laughs> my favorite. Get ready. Warm it up. Um, Roughly a month later, the night at Walmart in the wheelchair, that was the last time Kenneth County was ever seen again. And this was not the first young man that Sheila Labar had invited to live with her under the premise of being a helping hand on the farm, and he wasn't the first one to go missing. Michael DeLange struggled with alcohol and drug abuse as an adult. After a failed marriage, Michael had moved to New Hampshire to start over after getting sober. Michael met Sheila Labar at a homeless shelter, and she invited him to work and live on her farm in 2002. Her neighbors allege it's not uncommon that Sheila had young men stay at her farm. 
she inherited it after her self-proclaimed common-law husband died and left her widowed. They would stay for varying amounts of time, but Michael actually stayed for a couple of years. Sometimes it was a couple of days, sometimes it was a couple of weeks. It was just various young men coming to this farm. His stepfather, Michael's stepfather, Gordon Boston, said that at first seemed it seemed good with Michael. It seemed like he was in a good place, but as time went on, Michael revealed that some of the abuse that he had been enduring was it was crazy. She had thrown him out of a truck during an argument. He was left to sleep outside after walking for miles because he couldn't find a business or a house or a phone to call anyone. Oh my God. Delange's mother said that in the summer of 2004, she received a phone call that woke her up in the middle of the night. The woman on the other line screamed at her, demanding to know why she molested her own son. The woman continued to yell incoherently until Delange's mother hung up the phone. She had no idea what this person was talking about, but the phone rang again and she just let the answering machine picked it up. In the message, it was this woman again screaming about how a man had molested his brother and sister. She was playing the message for family members when they were over and they could hear a man mumbling in the background and they were like, that's Michael. It sounded like maybe he had been on drugs or he was drunk, but it was definitely him. And that was the last time his family ever heard from him. His siblings say that, like, Michael never molested them. His mom never molested him. Michael's father was unable to give an interview or speak about his missing son, but he would soon understand why he had never heard from his son again. Because Michael DeLonge's last known address was listed in the Epping, New Hampshire phone book as Sheila's horse farm. So how did this woman, who seemingly didn't work, claim to be a millionaire, get all of this money and land? Because she lived on 115 acres. Oh my horses God. and animals on a farmhouse. It was beautiful. Wilfred Labar was a chiropractor in Epping, New Hampshire. He was like one of the first chiropractors. Before it was what it is today. Like now, I think we hear chiropractor and we're like, oh yeah, they're great. But Mm -hmm. at this time in the, you know, 70s, (laughs) 80s, people were like, ah, no, those guys are, those guys don't know what they're doing. Yeah, they're crooks. They're going to let someone break my back. Mm -hmm. Why would I do that? So he was a chiropractor. Before they were a thing. And he and his first wife actually divorced after they had two children together. But afterwards, he found the love of his life, Edwina. Wilfred's life really seemed to come together when he met Edwina. Unfortunately, just a short few years later in 1983, Edwina died from cancer. And she was really young. He spent a few years in mourning Labar became lonely and felt like he needed someone to share his life with, so he put a personal ad in a national magazine in 1987, and it read, Doctor, widower, looking for someone not too tall. Sheila responded with a short letter and her phone number, giving him permission to call her, and also a photo of herself, naked, right out the gate. Dr. Labar called. He did. A relationship started over the phone, and within months, he had sent her money to move to New Hampshire to be with him from the South. 
And she really played on that Southern Belle thing. She was charming and she was very smart and well-spoken. She told Wilfred that she wanted to be a country singer and he took her to Nashville to network. While she was there, she went by her stage name. She picked the name Casey Washington. They never married, but Sheila changed her last name to Labar and fully embedded herself in his life. She took over managing his chiropractic office. She got the office back in the black because for years, Dr. Labar and his co-owner, who was also his cousin, who was also a chiropractor, they had traded work for favors or they just let patients pay them back when they could. Epping was a really small town and it still is a pretty small town. So it's just small town kind of, yeah, you get me when you can, no big deal. But Sheila brought a ruthlessness to the practice that while it got people to pay their bill, it also drove customers away. There was an apartment above the practice that the other doctor stayed in with his Doberman. And after Sheila started managing the practice, she realized that he didn't pay anything in rent. And because her pseudo husband owned it, she demanded that he start paying $700 a month in rent. He refused and she threatened to kill his dog. He told he Jesus. told her to leave and three days later, his Doberman dropped dead. Like, it was not a threat. She followed through. Oh my God. And Wilfred knew she was crazy, but he could not shake her. His daughter begged him to get away from her. And he would tell her like, yeah, you're right. I know I will. But he just couldn't seem to do it. A year after Sheila had moved in with Dr. Labar, she rewrote his will and had it notarized. And this was something she did regularly. She would write out legal, <laughs> what she considered to be legal documents, and then she would get them notarized. She recorded all of her phone calls, tons of conversations, which we'll talk a little bit. Uh, we'll talk about a little bit more. Um, and in this will that she had rewritten, she completely cut his children and his cousin and business partner out of it. She left them nothing. Everything was dictated to go to her. After the other doctor moved out of the apartment because she killed Murdered his, dog, his dog. Yeah. Um, Sheila moved into it because she was acting like she was married and in this relationship with Dr. Labar, she had changed her name, but she was actually like having sex and dating other men in front of him. One man who had moved to the U.S. from Jamaica, his name is Wayne Ennis, she did marry him in 1995. She didn't change her name. She left it as Labar because she was still living in Wilfred's homes and working at his practice and, like, having this relationship with him. It's very That's strange. Weird. As you, I think you've probably gathered, she was an abusive and manipulative woman. Oh, for sure. And her new husband, Wayne, was abused for years before Dr. LeVar himself actually helped him escape. She told him that he, or he told him that he needed to get away from her. He needed to stay away from her. He gave him money. And he did this after Sheila had just told Wayne that she wanted him to murder the doctor for her so that they could inherit his farm, the rental properties he owned, the practice. She wanted to be rich, but she needed him out of the way. And Wayne was like, absolutely not. Wilfred Labar is like the nicest guy I know. But because they were victims of Sheila's abuse and violence, they were also like kind of bonded over that as well. Wayne did finally manage to leave, but Sheila had another boyfriend lined up before her divorce was finalized. 
James Brackett lived with Sheila and Dr. Labar again up until Wilfred Labar's death in December of 2000. His family was convinced that he had been poisoned, but his cause of death is listed as heart failure. He was cremated at Sheila's insistence, and because she was the executor of the will, that is what happened. At his funeral... He definitely was poisoned. Yeah. I fully think that she was... She said she just found him on the kitchen floor. I'm like, no way. Not with your crazy ass hanging around. Um, She sang a terrible song that she wrote for uh, her dead cat at his funeral, and everybody was like, this is terrible. Um, But at the end of it, she told the entire congregation that he died because he snapped his own neck performing an adjustment on himself, which was absolutely not true and like a horrific thing to say to a room full of people who just lost like a loved one. And also someone who's been adjusting their necks. Like that's terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just like, who says that? Like what what the fuck? fuck? Yeah. What the fuck? (gasps) Like, (gasps) oh, Um, and I think that's physically impossible. I am not. <laughs> I would be inclined to agree with you. I don't know. What kind if of it's... exorcism shit does she think goes on when you get an adjustment? Oh, man. Sheila had met James Brackett, her new boyfriend and the boyfriend that lived with her and Dr. Labar in 1996 while he was living at a campground. After the doctor's death, Sheila became even more unhinged. She started subscribing to phone sex hotlines and she would she would spend all day and all night talking to men about sex. Brackett recalled hearing some of these phone calls. She would ask the men on the other end if they fantasized about having sex with other men or their mother or little boys, which is weird because she was also an insanely jealous person and often accused her boyfriends, including James, of having sex with other women. But she was having sex with other man, men and having these, like, days-long phone, phone sex calls. Yeah. Who has the time? And who has the, like, <laughs> concentration? Because I'd be like, hold on a second. I got to swap this laundry real quick. What were you saying? <laughs> but still, like, this abuse escalated among the more regular incidents of her just being a a monster human being she once pushed james out of the cab of a moving vehicle and after he hit the pavement and started to bleed only then was she like oh i'm so sorry once while they were in the bath she bashed him in the face with a kitchen utensil and broke his two front teeth out and when he screamed she said that she was aiming for his neck She fired a gun at him. She once stabbed him in the head with a pair of scissors, and he had to go to the hospital. After that, when Sheila grabbed a weapon, he ran. And they both both actually got arrested for that because they had been in a brawl, and he wanted her to get away from him. And so he, like, pulled out, like, a pocket knife and was like, stay back. And so she just, like, grabbed the scissors and went full, like, visceral and stabbed him in the head. Oh my god, this bitch is crazy. <laughs> She's crazy. I'm not gonna lie to you. When I was reading the book about her called Wicked Intentions, I was just flabbergasted. I could not stop. This whole case has troubled me so deeply. <laughs> just really 
I have not stopped thinking about it for like the last couple of weeks just because of how nuts it is. Um, but yeah, so now he knows if she grabs a weapon, get the hell out of there. After one blowout fight, Sheila went off and James realized that the room that she had just retreated to was the same one that she kept her guns in. So he bolted out the door and he heard her cock and shoot the gun after him after he was all like running down the driveway. James tried to leave several times and on numerous occasions he found himself at the homeless shelter just to escape the violence. He once like hitchhiked and walked there in a blizzard just to get like an east coast blizzard a nor'easter get away from her um and if you heard me mention earlier that she met her last boyfriend michael at the homeless shelter and went why was she even at the homeless shelter this is why she was at the homeless shelter because she was going to retrieve james and the first time she went to retrieve him he was sharing a bunk with michael And she invited him to their house for dinner. She like sized him up and was like, why don't we have this guy come back to our house for dinner? And then the second time or another time she had to go retrieve James from the shelter, Michael was still there. And so she actually took Michael back to her farm instead of James. And James was like, you can have her. I'm capped out. Yeah. That's fine with me. I don't even care. No longer need this level of crazy in my life. So I'm yeah, gonna kind of <laughs> I'm gonna rewind back to where I talked about Kenneth County because his story isn't done. Police had done the welfare check on him and told him to call his mother. But after she hadn't heard from him, he she filed a missing persons report. Um, so after a month of Kenny living with Sheila, Kenny's mother filed this missing persons report because he called his mom every single day. And when he stopped calling her every day, she was legitimately worried. The officer who took the missing persons report promised to do everything that he could, and he did. He called every possible lead, all of his friends. He traced County's prepaid cell phone. He did everything he was capable of except for calling Sheila because dealing with her required support. But at one in the morning, the same... Within the same 24 hours of getting this phone call, the phone rang and it was Sheila. And they were like, where's Kenny? And Sheila immediately started crying. She screamed that she didn't know or care where he was. She woke up and he was gone as of two or three days before. She said that she never wanted to see him again because he was a pervert. And the officer taking the phone call was like, what do you mean he's a pervert? Sheila held up a handheld recorder to the phone and played a conversation that she had recorded of herself and Kenneth County. And I'm going to say it word for word because I think it'll give a very clear picture of the kind of manipulation and just the kind of person this woman was. So the tape said, I, Sheila Labar, am a justice of the peace, and I am legally recording this conversation with Kenneth Michael County also known as Adam Olympia Labar. Is that correct? And to clarify, she said that this was the name he wanted to be known as. So she refers to him as Adam a lot, but because she had like changed his name for him. Kenny answered yes to those questions on the tape. And Sheila said, are you speaking to me in my 
official capacity as a justice of the peace and a notary. Yes. And you're aware that New Hampshire is a two-party consent to tape state. Yes. And you have granted me permission under free will to be tape recorded. Is this true? And after that, he kind of mumbles and Sheila like snaps at him and tells him to talk right. And then she's like, is it true that you are a child molester and you have raped many children, including members of your own family? And Kenny says yes. And this interrogation continues until Sheila is screaming at him and crying. Other than the word yes or mumbling incoherently, the only other noise heard from Kenny is him vomiting. The tape doesn't end until Sheila yells, you didn't faint. Kenneth County is now faking that he fainted into the tape recorder. And then it shuts off. So, <laughs> I know. <laughs> so it's another one if you could hear Connie's face. Oh, my God. On the evening of March 24th, 2006, the same day that that phone call came in from Sheila, two detectives showed up at Sheila Labar's house with the intent of finding Kenneth County. But when they arrived, no one was at the farm. No one was there. And at this farm, she's got horses, she has a Dalmatian. She has tons of rabbits, like all in the house, hopping all over the property outside, everywhere. Which I will admit does sound adorable, but also irresponsible. So they scan the lay of the land and they see those yellow diesel gas containers that she had purchased at Walmart near a mattress that was still like smoldering and smoking from being burned. There were barrels filled with hay that were still smoldering. There was a burn pit and sticking out of this burn pit was a length of bone with a chunk of flesh still clinging to it. Oh, no. And I don't know why this happened, but one of the detectives like picked it up before dropping it and being like, oh, what the what is this? Anyways, they call the county attorney to get the clear to be able to go in and check on just the well-beings of the occupants of the house because they found what they believe are human remains. And the sun has gone down at this point. It's a Friday night, so it takes a little bit to get a hold of the person who can give them that clear. But based on what they told them, they're like, yeah, get in there, make sure everything's all good. And legit, the minute they kicked the door in, someone pulled in the driveway. It wasn't Sheila's car because Sheila's car was there. She drove this like big silver Mercedes that had the license plate Casey on it for her stage name. Oh, but the car that pulled in, Sheila did get out of it. And the first thing she said was, do you have a warrant? Which ew. But they're also like, yeah, bitch, we do have a warrant. Yes. Uh, yes, <laughs> we do. <laughs> and they probably said that more professionally, but her attitude immediately shifts. She got very sweet and was like, of course you can search my property. Of course. The house was disgusting. It was covered in filth and animal poop. They moved into the basement and one of the officers recognized the shoes that Kenny had been wearing at Walmart. Sheila's attitude switches again as soon as they point that out and they're like, we want to take these shoes. And she's like, you can't take anything from my house. So they leave her with a warning to touch nothing. Do not touch one thing. But when they get back outside, they're like, hey, what is this in this burn pit? What is this bone with meat on it? And at first she's like, I don't know. I don't know. But then she sees a rabbit. She's like, oh, it's a rabbit or a pedophile. 
And then she just tells them to leave because the extent of their warrant is up. They checked on the well-being, and again, they tell her, don't touch anything, but they can't do anything yet other than her like making these claims. They don't have proof of it. They have the ME out there. They have a... So you might be wondering why they wouldn't arrest her. (laughs) There's remains. What are you doing? Why is there there not backup? Why is there not like the coroner out there? Verify that these remains are human. And in New Hampshire, there is, um, there's not a suspicion of murder statute. I don't know if there is now, but at the time there wasn't. So they go and get a warrant and they show up the next morning. Sheila was not expecting them. And when they get there, she is covered in just like soot. Like she has been burning shit all night long. She freaks out and runs in the house and she was like, shoot me, just shoot me. And they're like, no, we're not going to shoot you. And she just gets loopy. They cannot keep her on track. She tells them that she was up all night burning stuff because she wanted to help. And she was sifting through the ashes and removing bones when they arrived. She she had been putting them in a plastic Walmart bag and just like hoarding them for the police. There were more ashes on her stovetop inside the house. She said that she was burning um, sexual notes from her relationships. When they were finally able to get her to fully focus, they're like, where is Kenny? And she said, he's in the bag. But again, she's saying these incriminating things, but there's no suspicion of murder charge. But they do take her in to question her. For seven hours, they question her but they haven't got these this bone identified yet. And so they had to release her. They wanted to keep tabs on her, but they lost her. They dropped her off at a motel and there was someone on her, but she left on foot. And it was just like the exact time that maybe the officer wasn't looking and she got away. And I can hear the groans of frustration. I'm so Like this hasn't even gone live yet, but... Like, what the hell? I, I still don't understand. I understand if there's not a suspicion of murder charge, but I cannot understand why the Emmy was not at that place. I can't either. Like, like I, I would have been honestly, like, hey, there's guys, so many gaps here where I'm like, why? why? Uh, I, 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 for the first time, I have no words. <laughs> I just, um, and I think it's kind of how she talks about things and how she is so aggressive about like they absolutely have to do it like according to law because she will find any single thing she can to get out of it. I just don't understand. My brain cannot wrap around finding like bones and being like, these are people bone. Yeah. And not calling, like not having, I would, I would assume. Well, this is only like, this is within 24 hours, you know, this is within like, it was that night they show up in the morning first thing and I to just, get stuff with a warrant. I'm getting Carrie Culberson vibes right now where it's like you leave the suspicious, like the suspected crime scene, like unmanned, unattended, unmarked. Mm-hmm. And then like hell breaks loose. Yeah, that is, I, I know when I was reading that too, I was like, why wouldn't they have like left someone like even just outside down the road? But this police, like this is a small town. Their police force is very small. They would have needed backup. The police officer watching her motel room was a state 
state cop. Like they didn't have a lot of manpower to be able to like handle this. I know. Um, So if you're about to go down for murder and you're as nuts as Sheila is, I would imagine that your next move is probably to run, which is what she tried to do when she hitched a ride with a guy named Steve Martello. He picked her up off of an exit and she was like trying to flag someone down. Normally like a hitchhiker will do the thumb thing or they'll walk really casually, but like she was flagging someone down like she needed help. Um, She introduced herself as Casey and offered to pay him to take her to Boston, which is only like an hour away from where they're at. And Steve agreed. Sheila, a.k.a. Casey, asked if they could stop at a post office so she could mail a letter, and Steve agreed. She asked if they could stop at a post office so she could mail a letter. Steve agrees. The letter was sent to a woman who she had only just met a few days before. She had run into this woman's adult children who are developmentally disabled adults. And they were at a pet store. They liked to go and see the cats and pet the puppies. And while they were there, Sheila found these two people and talked her into taking three of her pet rabbits, her three favorite rabbits. She was like, I'll give you $100 to take care of them. I'll give you these rabbits. I'll give you a, I'll buy you this hutch to put them in. And so she did. And they were like, yeah, we'll do that for you. So Sheila drove them home and explained to their mom what was going on, that she was having legal troubles and she wasn't going to be able to take care of her rabbits. And she's just, she called them angels and said that she was so thankful for them. And the two just hit it off because Sheila was a very complimentary. She's a very complimentary person. Like she'll tell you anything you want to hear to make you feel good about yourself so that she can like cut you down later. A calculating woman. So not only does she convince this woman to take three of her pet rabbits, she signs over her horses, her properties. She convinces them that she is 100% innocent because they see her on the news because this man is missing and she is associated with this man. Um, She tells them that the the cops are crooked. They're out to get her. And she wrote contracts up. She got them all notarized within a few hours and then emptied her entire bank account of $85,000. She was rolling with $35,000 in cash and a $50,000 cashier's check. They, Sheila and this random woman and this random woman's friend, were driving to get the horses when they pulled in the driveway. And Sheila got out of that unknown car that had pulled in the driveway. So she was with these women that she just met the day before. And they were suddenly like ride or die for her. The And because she knows how to do that to people, you know? Yeah. Like, that's, that's not their fault that they no, happened no, upon this that crazy person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the events of this crime, they it feels like everything is like simultaneously happening and also unraveling. It's really quick. A lot of stuff is happening. Like all of this stuff I've talked about, like some of it has been in years past, but a lot of it is happening within like just a week or less. She sends this lady a letter with the details about how she is and just to reiterate that she is innocent and she tells her to give it to the press. She's like, give this letter to the press because I'm innocent. It's just her giving her own version of the story. Um, so they're she's back with Steven and they're driving for a bit. It's only like that hour drive 
And he noticed that when she mailed the letter, it had a different name and address on it. So Stephen's like, hey, what's your name again? She's like, oh, it's Sheila, but you can call me Casey. That's my middle name, which is not her middle name. But, oh, well. Um, And he thinks to himself, I think I need to call the cops to see if this woman is on the run or something. I'm just getting bad vibes. She gives him money for gas and they go to the gas station so she goes in and he pops on the phone to call police and he calls them but they're in massachusetts now and he's like hey has someone escaped from prison recently especially like a woman are you look and they get on hold and he's waiting for them to come back and they come back and they're like nope no one's escaped from prison recently he's like oh okay cool hangs up (laughs) and according to steven Sheila came out of the gas station with condoms and a douche. She gave this guy a little wink, wink, and they went to a hotel to make it happen. Yep. So that she could continuously manipulate anybody who she's around. Is she good looking? Um, She was good looking in her 30s. She was not personally, personal opinion. Maybe not. No. She's. Just she carries herself very confidently. I'll say that. That'll do it every time. All those TikToks are like, you just got to be confident. Like this is prime example of that's true. So after their fornication, she told him to flush the condoms because people that work at hotels use them to impregnate themselves. They don't do that. (laughs) At no point does that happen. Are you a f- NBA player? Like a professional, like <laughs> entertainer? Like, <laughs> Sheila um, Douche. She also said that cops were pedophiles and she had been dating a pedophile, you know, bedroom talk. But oh, then- <laughs> nothing <laughs> nothing softens the moment like a that type of like that type a- of conversation. Uh, but then then she told him that she had died and she had talked to God while she was dead and she was sent back to earth as an angel and she was meant to get rid of pedophiles. She told him that he had just had sex with an angel and he left. He was like, this bee's crazy. I'm out of here. He left. But that night when he got home, he was like, well, better sit down and watch the evening news. (laughs) oh no please tell me he saw her face that's right he had a weird feeling the whole time and he just like legitimately stood up and went straight to the police station he was like man i really did it now and he told them about the letter he remembered the address on the letter who it was sent to her name that was on it and when her new friends received that letter, the police already knew about it. So they like pretty much ran and was like, where's the letter? They were like, how do you know about the letter? So How do you know about the letter? <laughs> but they knew the Ministry because of magic. <laughs> Stephen had memorized it, even though he had just like seen it laying in her lap. Stephen, you win. Stephen. Stephen. Um, so Sheila continues to run and she continues to just like get random dudes to give her rides. Um, She went to a salon and had her hair like redone. She got it. She normally wore it very long, but she got it cut and dyed red as like big red chunky highlights in the picture that I'll post. But um, and eventually 
they caught up to her and she went down the same way Connie and I would go down if we were caught running from the law in front of a Taco Bell. <laughs> well, Connie, Mexican get her Mexican pizza. <laughs> Sorry, tornadoes. Her mouth and they'd get the the bullhorn out and be like, "Put it down!" And she just crammed the rest of it in there. <laughs> <laughs> what if it goes away again? So I she- I've had s- three Mexican pizzas. They came back. <laughs> They're not even gluten free, but I'll just take I'll just take the stomach issue. I don't care. <laughs> You're I just, just cry so tears of nostalgia every time I just chomp into it. Shout out to Doja Cat, I guess. Wasn't she the one who got him back? Like, I don't know, but that's what I read. The, they're the tits. <laughs> um. So anyway, she got arrested in front of a Taco Bell. And they searched her farm for 17 days because it was 115 acres, uncovered a ton of evidence had dna testing on the bones and teeth found in the burn piles oh they and- finally brought someone to investigate the forensic <laughs> yeah. evidence well, they had how people nice there, of you there that time um but they found actually that the remains were both kenneth county and michael delange not just kenneth county in that same burn pit mm-hmm. and they also and he had been missing for years at that point they also have found three human toes that have never been identified. So there's not the only farmhand that went down. Um, she all talked in, often about like an Irishman. She said Irishman uh, that was like hiding in her woods and watching her and that he was crazy. And so they're kind of wondering if maybe like these toes and that story are correlated but they have still never been identified um the trial took two years to even start and she kind of dropped a bombshell she confessed to the murder of kenneth and of michael and pled not guilty by reason of insanity the jury was like hell no like bitch we know you're crazy but like not like that yeah you are obviously understand what you're doing um, she said she killed Kenneth because he was a pedophile, and she said Michael was hurting her animals. Um, she's currently serving life without parole in Florida, last I read. Um, she, no, James, James Brackett, one of her boyfriends, the one that got away, or one of the ones that got away, said that he had also, or she had also accused him of being a pedophile. And he's confident that had he, like, just placated her and been like, yeah, I am, he would be dead as well. So he feels very lucky to be alive. Well, first, I think I should tell you guys about Zencaster before we go into (laughs) our thoughts and feelings about this, because there's a bunch of them. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, I would love to start a podcast, you should. Zencaster has everything you need to record and produce a high-quality podcast ready-to-publish podcast. Zencaster makes our remote recording completely possible because we're busy. We don't have time to learn a bunch of different systems. So please start a podcast. You're the only you. You're the only one who has your specific opinions. Grab a mic, maybe grab a friend or two. Head over to Zencaster.com slash pricing. Use promo code gruesome for 30% off your first three months. 
or click the link in any of our bios and then tell us about your podcast. And if you have any problems during the process, just let us know. We'll help you out. Can't wait to hear it. Okay, so here are my thoughts. Do you think do you think she would manipulate them to the point of they were obviously they were not pedophiles if no one has ever said that about no, these it, men it's pretty confirmed that she just wanted to humiliate them to dominate them to just make them feel as low and broken as possible and she with her hus- her husband Wayne she had literally beat the shit out of herself and then called police and had him arrested for like beating the shit out of her after after he had said you're my wife i'm not gonna hit you like she just wanted to have the upper hand no matter what and unfortunately like the sad fact of the matter is and like i mean if you don't live under a rock and you're following any of the like johnny depp and amber heard trial women can do this and it's sad and it's crazy thinking about women that when i was writing this. it i am a woman and i i fully like i'll be the first one to like speak out of like against the shit that you know like our bodies like how i feel like we don't even have control of anything that belongs to us anymore i'll be the first one to talk out about that in the same sense i will be the first one to acknowledge especially i mean i have sons so it's something that i've thought about on a large scale many times that at any point in their lives a girl could say they've done something and chances are until they fight like hell to prove them wrong they're that's going to be law like that's like you have like, to oh. escalate it to that point of like yeah. no we're going to court for defam like with the johnny depp thing like you have to get it so high up for anyone to believe you. Because I yeah, remember when I saw that, I was like, oh, my God, that sucks that he yeah. is like that. Like, I fully was invested and then all the other things came out and I was like, oh, I've been had. Yeah. And I think that's why everyone is so invested because everyone was on her side. And now they're yeah. like, mm, you are also sketch. Both of them did not do, were not admirable human beings in that. Yeah, I'll, and I will say that. It's not like Johnny Depp is standing there like a angel, like Sheila LaBar thought she was. But it's, you know, like, it just sets back, it set back men and in being involved in, like, domestic violence, like, being the victims of domestic violence. It set that movement back so many, so much, just because... I mean, you could, if I was a man and I was being physically abused by my significant other and I'm seeing this playing out, you know, it's like, oh no, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to believe me. Yeah. I mean, we've seen stuff like this happens. I mean, how many people did she have at her farm for years that just disappeared and no one was like, and like her neighbors made jokes about it, made jokes that like. Oh, she's got all kinds of guys coming in and out of there, but they had seen them being abused. But she was, she played the crazy citizen so well that nobody wanted to come near her. So she was free to do what she wanted within her circle because nobody wanted to be involved with that. Her neighbors wouldn't even say anything about her until they knew she was under arrest because they knew that she would come for them. 
Like she had man, like even the police didn't want to deal with her. Like they were exactly. like, no, don't talk to her unless you have an ex, unless you have backup. That's a calculated. I feel like her entire persona, everything about her, was calculated. Yeah, because it in absolutely what was what other world would you? I mean, if I were a police officer or I were like the manager at Walmart and I see this clearly battered and burned man yeah who if it was obvious like if you talk to him and you could tell like maybe he had um an intellectual disability i the alarms would be going off like nope something's wrong something's wrong like what's going on but then when you have this woman who's like coming at you you know and attacking you and you're like i just want this person to get away from me like i feel like Mm -hmm. if i was those walmart employees i would have felt in danger which i said i I would have called the police and been like and then me you know like if you in a small enough town where the police could even talk to her without backup like holy shit like she was free to do whatever she wanted and she clearly did for years yeah yes and they like she had always been like that she was married twice before she even, you know, went to New Hampshire. And her first about hus- her childhood. Yeah, I didn't really want. I didn't really talk about it because I was just like, she's just a bad frankly, egg, a bad egg. But her dad was abusive. Um, he allegedly sexually molested her and her sister, but he was an alcoholic and. Um, I wonder if that's what her fascination about the pedophile was. I think, yes, I think she was projecting her own experiences onto these people to be like, you did this too, didn't you? Um, I I also agree with you. I think it was further humiliation. Like it was like she wanted to have that. Because like if you, especially with, um, what was his name? What is it like? Kenny. Like if his mom is calling for him and like having missing persons reports and then yeah. she's recording him saying that he's a pedophile like that just is and james he also had family that i mean obviously all these men's families cared about them but he had family who was willing to like get him out of that situation and kenny did too which is why his mom reacted so quickly she did file like a wrongful death lawsuit against epping new hampshire because they had seen him because they had seen him at Walmart and in that condition, and they knew what he had looked like just a month before. They were like, yeah, you exactly. should have stepped in. And I agree. Yeah. But like, he didn't say anything. And, you know, he, I mean, he was an adult technically, but he also had that handicap. And I don't know, like, I do feel like that they were out of, his mom had told them like, he has a mental disability and he needs like we need him safe and mm-hmm. didn't keep him safe i agree i would have followed i would have done the same thing yeah man i would have thrown hands with sheila <laughs> honestly i don't know if you would have won because she's just crazy enough <laughs> man i gotta look this bitch up yeah her if you look i could see how she got away with this stuff as a younger woman and in her thirties. And I think with the death of Wilfred and just continuously getting older, I can see why she became much more unhinged. Well, look, Jesus doesn't 
like people like this. So he was sucking that pretty right out of her when she went to talk to him. So that's probably why <laughs> she looks like she got ran over by her rabbits. Oh, man. She looks like she got ran over by her rabbits. Her herd of rabbits. Oh, man. Yeah. Just the... I, it's no words. Like I said, I was reading You don't book. post this picture <laughs> of her. I'm going to. Do you see any of her like when she's young? Yeah, I did with her long flowing hair. Yeah. So her hair was always like that until she was on the run and then she cut it. Yeah. Man. Once when she was being taken in for questioning, I didn't really want to include this because it didn't seem relevant, but I do kind of want to talk about it because you'll just be like, oh, my God. Um, they realized that she had had a weapon on her the entire time. And she like was like, you probably want this and like took it out of her shirt or jacket and like handed it to him. And they were like, do you have any other weapons on you? And she literally whipped her boobs out and just flashed all the cops. <laughs> I was just like, geez, Louise lady, like, what are you doing? Just, just these. Just these dangerous weapons. They'd be like, we don't know what we're looking at. Please help us. <laughs> well, that's pretty much how the police had to react to her because she that wasn't the first time she tried to disrobe in front of them. They would be like, that isn't necessary. At one point, she was um, talking about how she had been abused and how she had uh, injuries on her private areas. And... The police were like, oh, we'll have a female secretary photograph you if you want to be photographed because she was asking to be photographed. And once she realized that he was not going to photograph it, she was like, no, that's okay. Just like the audacity. I hope someone taught her in jail, prison, that you're not supposed to douche. It's like everyone knows that. I guess they were like, I guess she got the shit beat out of her. People... Good. did not take kindly to her and she wanted to get out of the prison she was in i would imagine why really... so she could go to another prison and get her ass kicked there like... yeah i don't know if that's why she was went to florida i'm not really sure the reason why she ended up in florida when she was tried in like new hampshire and massachusetts and um yeah what a mess like i said doozy mm. but at first book... i was like oh is she labar the victim and then i was like Oh, immediately. I was like, immediately, no. Immediately, Immediately, no. no. Wicked and what I needed to see. Holy crap. I get especially like a a burning fit of rage, like right here, when I hear about anyone taking advantage of anyone who is mentally handicapped in any capacity any any capacity and i'm not i don't even i'm not even talking about like sexually taking advantage of them or physically abusing them i am talking about any if you are using them to pay your bills or just being a fucking douchebag at school like i hate you yeah. Like, I hate people like that. And I, I just like, even, I mean, she was doing it to these young men, but she was also like those kids in the, I mean, they were adults, but the kids in the animal store or the, the pet, pet store. store. Yeah. Like, you're just like, you're taking, ki- you're taking advantage of people who you know don't know better. Yeah. Which and is I hate gross. that. 
I I have so much rage when it comes to stuff like that. And it's, I think it's, um, I had a cousin who was mentally handicapped. I grew up with her. She passed away when I was in high school. But I watched that happen to her throughout her entire adult life. And she, like, she was capable of, like, having control of her own money and, like, making adult decisions. But men up took advantage of it, like, in physical ways that just still make me want to vomit. And just how, like, I don't understand how anyone could do that. It is the lowest of the low. Like, the lowest of the low. Yeah. Um, Ugh, that, if that makes you, me hurt for his family. If <laughs> There are so many, like, nitty-gritty details about this case, too, that are just, like, like, I didn't say everything. But if you want, this book is by Kevin Flynn. He was literally, like, a reporter in New Hampshire when this was going on. It's called Wicked Intentions, and you guys should for sure read it because it's alarming. I can can only imagine the details in that book, just based off of what you said to me. It goes into detail about, like, the encounters with, like, Stephen and the encounters with the other men that she tried to talk to and what was happening there. I took (laughs) some of the more extreme ones just to... prove my point of like she was an extreme human being like the levels that she was willing to go to to get what she wanted it would make sense to me if she was physically like sexually abused as a child if she thought she could use sex to get what she wanted yeah maybe like if that was ingrained in her brain somehow from that or if she was just a twat and that's just what she did. There's plenty of people who are sexually abused who don't turn out to be like that. I understand. But actually I saw a headline from from the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case and it was like just a reminder or something along these lines. It wasn't exact, but it was like just a reminder that mental illness isn't an excuse for violence. Oh, absolutely. I when it can be a cause of it. Like, it can be the reason why your brain is wired the way it is. Like, the drastic mood swings. But we know plenty of people who have bipolar disorder and all of these things who aren't physically abusing their spouses. Like, you can have anxiety. You can have borderline personality disorder. You can have all of these things. And that's not like a... Actually, I spoke to one of our listeners and she was talking about how her daughter has a schizoaffective disorder and how she manages it, but it's really hard. And I'm just like, we do kind of, I mean, a lot of times those disorders specifically are demonized and like we use them to, or they're used when like murderers have them, but there are just normal people who are out there managing them without like going into violent rages and murdering people. Mm-hmm. No problem. Mm-hmm. I think and the same thing with like shout out to you because that's hard. I know it is. Yeah, it's. I can't imagine loving how hard someone, it is, but no. And I, I give props to people every day who. I mean, we talk about like my like, quite frankly, crippling anxiety most days, and like ADHD and stuff. But for people who have, you know, personality disorders like bipolar disorder you know, schizophrenic, this all, if you are thriving, well, you know, thriving, you're doing your your best. best. That's all we can ask. (laughs) I am 
I give so much props because I know I see the loving someone with one of those disorders. And I can tell you firsthand, like, it's tough. It's hard. It's, it's a lot. So I can't imagine being the one to experience it. So shout out to you guys for surviving and being here because that's half the battle. Oof. And glad to have uh, messed up your day with this case. Yeah, man, that's wild ride. I just hate women like this. People like this. Yeah, people <laughs> like, like this. Just this extreme. Ugh. Um, and she definitely poisoned Doctor Lavar. Like, I we're no, fully we know. I we know fully she did that, right? that. She is responsible for his death. Like, she I wonder what his talk- kids thought when uh, she was arrested. They were thrilled that he was arrested. They really wanted to get their farm back. Um, but it went up to auction because all of her inheritance was turned over. Like they were like, nope, you actually didn't inherit it, but they didn't give it to his kids because they weren't in the will. So they had to like go to an auction to try to get it back. And they thought they were going to be unopposed at the auction, but like a ton of like 75 people showed up at the auction for this property because it's, it's really close to like the Hamptons. It's not in the Hamptons, but it's like right there so it went to auction and it ended up selling for six hundred thousand dollars but it was valued at like 800 plus uh and a woman bought it the family actually never got it back or they didn't get it back oh that's bullshit did they get any of the money since she had like eighty five thousand dollars i have no idea i'm not gonna lie i don't know Mm. if they got any of that money that was just what she had emptied out of her bank account I would imagine Yikes. most of it went to like paying. Well, the state paid for her um, defense because all of her stuff got turned over. So then she suddenly had no money. So the state paid too bad for the her state defense. won't pay for her execution. <laughs> uh, nope, just life without parole. But Which she honestly, did have an I think appeal. That's worse. That I think got that's worse out. for her yeah. because she. Well, she wanted to die when she was like, shoot me so I don't have to deal with this. No. They were like, no, I don't think so, ma'am. Not today, sis. You're going to jail. You're going to get your ass beat by women who don't care about your charm. (laughs) Uh, You're ugly. Man, what an ugly, nasty, disgusting, vile excuse for a human being. Yeah, she's. So many victims in this case, like both directly and indirectly. There's a lot of indirect victims. Yeah. There's like, there's people who were just so traumatized by her constant terrorism that they were like her name. One of her neighbors put like made a line of manure across his property line. So she couldn't come on his property because she was so like, he was not having any of her bullshit anymore. And they, again, they saw a lot of that stuff that was happening and they heard small town from police what she was capable of or she had filed complaints against people for no reasons. No, like, legitimate reason, you know, just hers. And if you're listening to this case and you haven't learned anything, I think another big takeaway is this is why we go to Target. (laughs) Uh, Truly an alien. She's truly an alien. Man. That's my that's my takeaway. I always say that 
a lot of a lot of times people shopping at Walmart, they look like they're just aliens in people suits. Like they look like the men the guy in men in black. He like stuffs himself into a people suit and he's like Do you know chug of water. Why I, this is why I hate Walmart. We've had I, we have this conversation. Like I once know, a month. but like it's so unorganized. You go in there and it's so unorganized. Like you the know deals are less hats. organized. Dollar General. <laughs> Look, I we have a Dollar General in our town and I frequent it because like I live in such a small town. But I feel so deeply for our Dollar General employees because there's like two of them that work there. That's all. I know. I two. feel like I see the same people every time you go into one. Yeah. Two people that work there and they can't get people to like stay on staff. So like literally walking through the aisles is like You have to like get your own stuff off of the like carts that they have pulled out. Sometimes I just shop in the black totes that they're like pulling out of. I'm like, I know this is where my stuff usually is. Let me just look in here real quick. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's how it feels. And it's woof. But I feel safe there. Like. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. It's like the two people that work there are manning the register. I'm not like there's not 300 checkout lanes and two people working and the scanning lines aren't working. It's just it's freaking chaos every time I go into Walmart. Yeah, it is. That's that's On that I note, wish there was a target like that wasn't. I think the closest okay. one to me is like what do you almost think an is the in between? Is Meyer the in between? I think it's probably like Meyer or um, what's like the other versions of Meyer? Like maybe like maybe Kroger, stuff like that. Man, they have like I, super Krogers now that have like the stuff. That's what our Kroger is, and it is Chef's Kiss. Man, I went to a Kroger once in like an expensive town. And I got groceries and they like bagged them for me. And I was like, I haven't had my groceries bagged since I was like a kid. Like I couldn't remember the last time there was someone there, like just designated to bagging my groceries. What did you do? I've always, they always just like put them in the bag on the carousel or like, and push them around. People don't bag my groceries anymore. They like put them in the plastic bags, but they like slid them down to a person who was just there to bag groceries. Let me tell you. (laughs) <laughs> the chef's kiss of all grocery stores. And I will die on this hill forever. If you're from the South, you know, Publix. You a know, Publix, I've been into a Publix one time, but not everyone can go into Publix, right? No. What do you mean? Yeah, everyone can go into Publix. It's I thought like, it was just like a, a military thing. No, 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 no. Publix is everywhere. Oh. It's just I like thought... down South. They don't have them up here. But it is an experience. I go in there and I don't even like to grocery shop. Like I am a buy it from that. Like I do Kroger pickup forever, but anytime I'm on vacation, I will go to the Publix and just peruse for hours. It's part of my vacation. They have the best cakes and (laughs) they have the best everything. Their seafood, chef's kiss. Cakes, chef's kiss. They have sandwiches like you can get at every deli grocery store, like where they make, it's like a Subway, but like it's like their brand. But public sub, they have this chicken tender sub that is oh. chef's kiss. <laughs> I'm actually when uh the first thing I checked when we go on vacation next month is I was like, how close are we to a Publix? And it's around the corner. So nice. They were like, we're gonna be like cooking at the house. I'm like, 
I'm going to Publix every day. <laughs> I'm, I'm grocery eating there. shop there. I don't even um, need anything. I had a cake from Costco once. It was really good. I do like Costco. Costco is the Target versus Sam's Club. Like, I love Costco. It's – I go to Sam's Club just because it's closer, but Costco is really where it's at. I've only ever been into either of those places, like, one time. Really? Come over yeah, here. I'll I just take you to live, Sam's Club. I don't really live near them. I mean, I used to, like, when I lived – in a big city I did, but I never, I still never really went to them. It was just like a lot of work. That's the beauty of where I live. Like I live same like small town, but we are right on the cusp. So but it's like, like close enough minutes. that it's, it's not close a, enough that we deal, can go. An issue. Oh, man. On that note, I'm going to go dream about public grocery stores, subs, cakes, lemonade, all of it. Sounds great. All of it. Happy dreaming. Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime, a Zencaster-powered podcast. Seriously, we wouldn't be here without them. Zencaster is simple to use and makes it easy to edit your own podcast. Zencaster gives you automatic, high-quality post-production sound, transcription, and HD video recordings of all of your episodes. If you want to start a podcast, and we think you should... Click the link in the show notes or at our website and use the code GRUESOME with a capital G for 30% off your first three months. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. Follow us at Gruesome Podcasts on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which... We love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're, we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye. Bye.